0: Welcome to Activate Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you, and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. In the beginning, the Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth, and he didn't do it because he was bored. In fact... God was completely happy just within himself. So we worship one God in three parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And in, in, in that relationship that he had within himself, he didn't need anything. He didn't create heaven and earth because he was bored. To be honest, this kind of blows my mind because I always thought heaven, I kind of simplistically look at heaven as God's house. So, so I say, well, if God... If he created heaven, where was he before heaven was even made? It just kind of blows my mind to think about it. I I try to picture an environment in which he would be in, and I can't even think about it. But But he created heaven and earth. And I want to tell you that when he created heaven and earth... He had a purpose in doing so. In fact, God always has a purpose in everything that he does. And if you are here today and you are new to church, I'm so glad that you're here. Because I want you to know that whether you are a Christian or not a Christian... God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for your life. There is something about you. God knew that you would be here. He wanted you to be here. And to be honest, I think about that and it feels kind of nice. Doesn't it? Isn't it nice that God has a plan and a purpose for you? I think it feels kind of nice. So here's what the Bible says. It says that through Jesus, he created all things. He created them through him and for him. He created them through him and he created them for him, which means that everything that's created by God, it's not random. It's not random. There's purpose. There's intention attached to everything that God makes. Why? Well, it was made for him. It was made to serve a purpose of his. My daughter, Eliana, she she gave me a drawing the other day. And those of you who are parents, you will understand this. She came and she gave it to me and I looked at it. And the first thing that I said is, wow, this is amazing. I didn't know what it was. (laughs) And I said, this is incredible. What is it? And she told me what it was. And I looked at it and I couldn't see what she saw. But who cares? She made it and it was for her. And since she's the owner of it and she made it, it could be anything that she wants it to be. I kind of feel like it's the same way with God. We are God's creation. He made us. It was, we were made through him, but we were made also for him. And we can be anything that God created or anything that God wants us to be. I was thinking God created all things through him and for him. Well, we're things. you know, We're people, but at the same time, we're still things. And I don't know if you like that. If you like the idea that you have actually been created for a purpose, but to be honest, I kind of like it. I like the idea that that, that that I'm not random, I'm not here by chance, I'm not here by accident. There's purpose on my life. Let me tell you why this will come in real handy for you. Because wherever you are at in life today, right now, I want you to know that since God can do what he wants with his creation, he can take you from where you are and develop your life in the most amazing way and create a future that you never thought that you could have. I'm living in mine right now. It means that he can go to people like Gideon, From the Old Testament, who was afraid of the Midianites and was hiding. And he was threshing out wheat in the wine press. I don't know if that's how you thresh. I just felt like, I don't know why I did that. He's threshing out wheat in the wine press. And the angel of the Lord comes and says, you mighty man of valor, and that couldn't be further from the truth. You know why? Because he was afraid, and he was scared, and he was hiding. Here's the news flash. God knows what he's going to do with people. So he comes and calls things into existence that do not exist. And I think that so often that would refer to out-purpose in him. You don't think it exists. You're here today. You're not even a Christian. You're not sure about it. But I tell you, it, it exists. He's got it and he can bring it into existence at a time when he chooses. He just knows how to do it. Do you want me to really blow your mind? How about this? The Bible says that before the foundation of the earth, so God created the heavens first and then the earth. So maybe sometime between creating the heavens and the earth, before the foundations of the earth, he had a book. And that book is called the book of life. And in that book is recorded every single name of every person forever that would choose to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and ask to be forgiven of their sins and to me that blows my mind because there are people whose names are written in that book and they don't even exist yet oh Have you considered the complexities of the universe... And everything that could happen that might mean that those people never exist, you're making choices all the time. Think about it. Think about it. It's like that, the butterfly effect. One thing changes in history, and it creates an alternate universe in which the people that we see here today might not exist if something was different way, way back thousands of years ago. Think about all the complexities. And yet in all of that, God says, Well, I already wrote their name in the book. So he already knows every person that's going to exist ever. And he knows every person who's going to call upon his name. And I think, how does he do it? How does he do that? Does he just see the future? Or is he actually involved in it? Does he just look into the future and know who's going to exist, or is he deeply involved and in some way controlling it? And and I think the answer that you'll probably want to settle with right now is the answer that makes you feel most comfortable. I don't know what you think about that, but the answer that makes you most comfortable might be where you decide to stay. Can I tell you about my life, my story? So when I was a kid, I, I, maybe maybe five or six years old, I gave my life to Jesus. Why? Well, I, I, I heard the gospel message. I just believed that Jesus was real and he would forgive me for my sins. And so, you know, uh, you know now, now I have kids of my own and, and I'll tell you this, I, I've led every one of my children in a prayer of salvation where they've given their lives to Jesus. And I, I get that they're young and I know that they uh, have so much to grow and understand and learn. I feel, I feel the same as them in some way. I'm still trying to grow and learn and understand, right? But, but I put my faith in Jesus and, and they put their faith in Jesus. Why did we do that? Perhaps it's just the gospel message, The gospel message is the best message the world will ever hear. It is outrageously positive in the sense that even though we make mistakes, God would love people enough that he would send Jesus. it's, it's, It's a great message to hear. I just heard it and I responded and I kind of think, gosh, when people hear this message that God exists and he loves people and that he would forgive them for all of their sin, Come on, who wouldn't respond to that? I mean, come on, who would say no to that? Lots of people. (laughs) Lots of people. Why is it that some people get it and other people, they don't get it? Why is it that some people just believe And other people don't believe. It's not a difficult message to understand. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever would believe in him shall never perish but have eternal life. For Jesus was not sent into the world to condemn it. But in order that the world would be saved by him. So that's not hard to understand. So why is it that some people get it. And some people they just don't seem to ever get it. I want to tell you it's not information that made the difference for them. Have you ever, let me ask you a question, have you ever introduced your friend to the gospel message and you've just told them about Jesus and you tell them about Jesus and they don't get it or they don't believe it and you keep telling them and then one day they just get it? What made the difference? How is it that one day somebody can say, don't believe it, not true, Uh, not for me, And the next day they say, I believe it. I want to give my heart to Jesus. It's not information that makes the difference. Can I tell you what I think might make the difference? The Bible says this in John 6 verse 44, and you guys can read it on the screen for yourself. I quote Jesus. (laughs) No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him hmm no one can come to me except if the father who sent me draws him it kind of seems to me that when people come to christ it's because something's happened first that they didn't realize happened it's actually it says in here that that the father he draws them we we have a word for that. Do you know what word that is? It's called revelation. It's not information. People have got plenty of information. A lot of people know the gospel, but one day they'll get it as revelation. It becomes real. They suddenly think this is is actually real. And then they make a decision to follow Jesus. And I'll tell you how it happens. It happens by work of the Holy Spirit. I love this because God is completely involved in this process. So the Father draws the person to Jesus. But how does that happen? Well, it happens by the Holy spirit because what's the role of the holy spirit well well if you read the bible it says the role of the holy spirit is to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and although the holy spirit is a great counselor let's remember he's guiding people into all truth so the father draws people through the spirit to the son isn't that pretty cool he goes on to say in john i'm gonna get my teacher on today i'll tell you right now Jesus was talking to some people that his his disciples and he, lots of his disciples, and he says this in John six sixty four. You guys should have it up there. It says, "But there are some of you who do not believe." And then it says in brackets because this is the part I wanted to get to. Jesus knew from the beginning who those were, who did not believe, and who it was that would betray him. And he still chose Judas. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the father. He's talking about Judas. He knew that Judas would ultimately betray him. And yet Judas never really got it. He betrayed him because he never really got it who who Jesus was, the Messiah, in the same way that some of the other disciples did. In fact, there is a scripture that says where, where Jesus asks Peter and he says to him, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the, you are the Messiah. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for what? For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in... So what happened? How did, how did Peter know that Jesus was the Messiah? Well, it seems to be consistent that when the Father reveals something from heaven, people that don't get it, just get it. So where does it start? Well, I don't know. It kind of looks like it starts right here when God starts to draw them. You've you got to know that God chooses who he's going to reveal himself to. I know that a scripture that a lot of people like to quote is, we are a royal priesthood. does that feel good? (laughs) We are a royal priesthood. Do you know how that sentence starts? For you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. What do you think that really means? (laughs) You are a chosen race chosen by who? Well, we didn't choose each other. We're chosen by God. We are chosen for him. For what? For his own possession. This is what the scriptures seem to say to me. And I I, I read this and I think, you know what? If you had asked me as a kid, while I was growing up, or for many years, even as a Christian, why did you ask God into your heart. I would say, because I heard the gospel message and I just thought it was true. And I just, I, I gave my life to Jesus. It was, it was my decision. And we always say that, come on. We had baptisms here last week, three of them. And we say, Hey, no one can make this decision for you. You need to make a decision for yourself to follow Jesus. And that's exactly the way that I would have seen it. But I, I started to read the scriptures as I got a little deeper. And I thought, well, what if I chose him because he chose me first? I mean, the scriptures do say that we love him because he first loved us. Well, maybe we chose him because he first chose us. And so you say, wait, stop. Wait a minute. This is crazy. You're telling me that God chooses people? Really? God really chooses people? Let me ask you a question. Let's, maybe we'll do it this way. Hands up if you believe in prophecy, okay? How could any prophecy come to pass unless God was actually, to a certain extent, controlling the outcome? How could prophecy even happen? And then someone will say, oh, no, 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 no. The way that that happens is God just knows what's going to happen, so he just tells people what's going to happen. Oh, well, we have a word for that. It's called Luck. And if the universe truly operated that way, it means that God has no control. All this stuff about Jesus coming again, that might not even happen. He he hopes it might. God hopes it might, but it might not happen. Really, it's got nothing to do with God. In fact, really, it's got everything to do with us because we're running the show, right? Things are just happening. They're just unfolding. I'll tell you right now, I hope it's not luck. Because if the universe is just running on luck, we're all in trouble. But maybe we say, well, hang on. But when it comes time to people choosing God, God knows who's going to choose him. And so that's that's how he knows to put their names in the book. Okay, maybe that's true. But if that's true, then you have to get around Romans 8:28 that says, for those who he foreknew, and the word foreknew, look it up. Don't trust me. Don't take my word for it. Look it up in the original language. The word foreknew means a relationship with him in the context of salvation so for those whom he foreknew he also predestined and you can have whatever version of the bible you like just go back and read the original language and see the words that they use to understand the context and the meaning See, I just don't know how you get around it because he says those who he knew was going to have a relationship with, he also predestined. And so I think people hear that word predestined and to be honest, I think it sends shivers up people's spines. Whoa. I don't like that. I don't like that word predestined, but I don't know if everybody even knows what that actually means. Maybe it means something that you don't really know what it means. I don't know. So, I think this is how I think it kind of works. I think we have a spectrum here. See, one end of the spectrum, you have everything's chance, everything's luck. God set up the universe. It just coasts on its own now. He just works around all of the decisions that we make, but we're really running the show, and the future might turn out, we hope. We don't really know. It's, just, it's all choice and, and, and random, and, and it's luck. Smart people believe in luck, so I'm not going to... I don't want to be antagonistic. Smart people believe in luck. Did you know that, that Michael Jordan wore his North Carolina basketball shorts under his Chicago Bulls basketball shorts every single game because he, he thought it would bring him luck? And he's a smart guy. And even he believed in luck. How many of you have avoided walking under a ladder? It's not like you're superstitious, but you just said, well, let's just, let's just be sure. <laughs> There's a black cat. You know what? I forgot something in my house. I don't know if it's real. I don't want to risk it. I don't want to risk it. I think you got luck at one end of the spectrum and then at the other end, of course, you, you have something that we call fatalism. Fatalism is you have no choices. You're puppets, you're robots, you have no choices. You think you're making decisions, you're not making any decisions. Everything is predetermined and chosen for you. And to be honest, I don't think it's luck. And I don't believe in fatalism. But there's a space in the middle where our choices are overlapped with God's choosing. There's a, there's a space here in the middle. And we have a word for that too, and we call it providence. And providence is God's ability to control everything in the universe. Every molecule is under his control and under his ability. It's called providence. My kids and I, we, um, we love to watch movies. We have a movie night nearly every Friday night. And, um, and so, oh, oh gosh... You know, we have Netflix. It's like a million movies. They still can't choose anything. I don't get it either. So spoiled. Um, and, and, but one of the movies that I love to watch that I always try to get them to watch is The Lion King, right? Because I love The Lion King. It's a great movie, isn't it? So uh, who's, who's seen The Lion King? All right, all right. So I'll tell you why my kids hate it. They hate it because Mufasa dies. And so um, they just don't want to watch it. They don't want to see it. It's too, it's too sad for them, you know? So, so let's just not watch the movie. So you guys have seen it. You know what happens. Mufasa dies. I should have said spoiler alert for anyone that hasn't seen the film. But anyway, now you know. Um, so just, just help me out here this morning. Who killed Mufasa? Scar. See, I Scar, that's the other lion, right? And he, and he, and he grabs Mufasa and he throws him into the path of oncoming wildebeest? wildebeest and 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 they and they run him down and they kill him and you say scar killed Mufasa, and i say really did he i don't know because if you look up imdb instant movie database and you look up who wrote the story there is a man by the name of bernie madison oh you don't know about him you don't know about him you don't know what he looks like you don't know what he does you've never seen him before but his name would appear in the credits because he was the the architect that crafted the story together. So who was really responsible? (laughs) Who was really responsible for killing Mufasa? Well, I suggest that, sure, Scar had a part to play in the role, but who created the framework and the story with which the whole thing happened and was governed? It wouldn't surprise you to learn that the entire script was actually written before they even started making the movie. And once the script was written, they went back and then they started filming it and shooting it. And what's my point? My point is you say, we never saw him. We never saw Bernie. We didn't even know he was there. That's unfair. You cheated us on that question, right? But I tell you he was there in the framework of everything that you saw, whether you were aware of it or not. Providence. Can I tell you, so Sarah and I, we, um, I've told this story many times, and I'm not going to go into detail, but years ago, we, we, we wanted to buy a house. We weren't able to afford it. This is one of the best stories I have in Providence, which is why I share it, right? So we, so we wanted to buy a house, and, and we thought we had a way to make it happen, but there was a problem, a man, and he was a, a lending manager for the bank. I didn't stumble over my words. I knew what I was saying. <laughs> He was a lending manager and he said, You are not, you are not gonna uh, uh, ever get this loan. In fact, he stood up for me. Can you believe this? He actually yelled at me in his office. Like he, was, he had problems and I was calm. And he said, You will never get this loan. I said, Okay. I, so we went back and we redid a f- couple of things. And, and then I said, All right, well, let's make an appointment. We'll go see him again. So we made an appointment to go see the lending manager. And the lending manager, uh, uh, you know, or the branch manager rather, She calls me the day before we're due to go in and see him. And she says to me, something, I'm so sorry to be the one to tell you this, but something horrible has happened to our lending manager. (laughs) He got really sick. Oh, that's bad news. Mm. I said, so what are we going to do about our appointment? She said, well, you'll still keep your appointment, but you'll meet with me instead of him. I smiled. (laughs) I hung up the phone. And I said to you, this is Providence. <laughs> we had this conversation in the car. I said, Sarah, we are going to get this house. We went in, we met with the, uh, the branch manager. We pitched her our idea. She said, that seems reasonable to me. Signed us on then and there. <laughs> Months later, the branch manager, the, the lending manager, he comes back and says, "What deal did you make?" right? He found out about it, and he was furious. He never would have given us that deal. Providence God did not make that man sick. But somehow it worked. It didn't make him sick, but somehow everything worked out. And here's the interesting part. God he told me we would have that house, and everything said no, we wouldn't, until these circumstances began to unfold, and suddenly what looked impossible became probable, and we built it. When you pray, are you not asking God to control an outcome? And when he does, are you pleased? When people are sick in their body, and you say, God, heal them. And he does. Has God not controlled some part of that outcome? Have you thought about the implications of God answering prayers and controlling outcomes and answering your prayers? Have you ever thought about what that would mean if you started to multiply it sort of across the universe? And if, you, if you're not sure about anything that I'm saying yet, a couple of weeks ago, I told this story about this man named Joseph. And Joseph um, goes through all these horrible circumstances in his life. And at the end, he gets put in a position to save his family, save the very people that brought about some of the bad circumstances. And at the end of his life, this is what he says. He says, they meant it for evil and God meant it for good. And it hurts my brain to think about what that means because what he's really saying is there are two ments, And we say, no, it's one or the other. It's either or. It can't be both and. Either they meant it or God meant it. And in a way that's impossible for you to really understand, the Bible just says, no, 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 they both meant it at the same time. If you start to think about the stories that you read in the Old Testament, where God came and he saved the nation of Israel. you think about it. When the Egyptians, when they, when they went through the crossing of the Red Sea, the, the Israelites, they made it through to the other side. And then what happened? The water came over and drowned all of the Egyptians. Do you think God might have actually controlled their future at that point? Yes. He killed them. So they don't exist, but what if they did? If they existed, then we would probably live in an alternate future right now because thousands of people that died would have gone on to have other families and other children, different decisions would have been made and yet God had all of our names written in a book knowing that those things would never happen because he planned on doing all of that way back then. Have you thought about the times when, when God would come and he'd rescue Israel at the hands of, of other nations? And he says, You will have victory. In fact, I read a story about David this, this week, and just in my reading. And then it says, He says, uh, God, should we go up and face the Philistines? And God says, You will defeat them. And then they go and they defeat them. And then later on, David says, The Lord has given us victory by my hand. I see two mints right there. How can he guarantee victory by David's hand? Well, he didn't possess him. He didn't become this super warrior that was possessed for the duration of the battle. It's not like the sword got a life of its own, and it's just lopping heads, chopping people. Okay, David's like just being dragged along. This is so easy. Wow, wow. This this is not happening. David's got the sword. He's swinging it. He's in control of it. And God's in control of it. The whole army is facing. Can you imagine the mess of thousands of people fighting and all the little intricacies and decisions, duck and weave and dodge and stab and whatever you do in a war. And all these things are going on, and yet God says at the end of all of this mess, I guarantee there will be far more Israelites alive than there will be Philistines. He must have been right there in the details. And I tell you that for a very specific reason, because sometimes when we say, oh, God is providential, or maybe he's not involved in the really minute details, but, but no, in fact, I think he must be. Because how could he guarantee? Israel continued to fight armies that would overwhelm them on any other day except that God fought for them. How does that happen? People are making choices and yet God's involved in it in the same way. And here's my point. God must be working through our choices and not just around them. He must be involved through our choices and not just around them and we have a word for that too it's called sovereignty he is sovereign it's his absolute right as creator who owns his creation who created all things for him it's his right as sovereign lord and god to be over the affairs and the details of people and you say when you when you hear this you say that's I don't know how i how i don't know how i can believe this i'm making decisions all of the time i'm making decisions all the time absolutely you are you can help me out and make a decision right now who likes soft drink dean you don't need to really come up here but i'm just going to get one of these people ruth i'm going to grab you you can run this to, to dean at the back because you're actually going to get to drink so uh you can have a coke or a lemonade what do you want Lemonade? There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, for Dean Mealing in the back. It was a good choice. It was a good choice. Here's my question. Why didn't you choose this delicious can of Fanta? And you say, it wasn't there. It wasn't an option. I told you, you're free to make any decision you want but your choices are limited. You're free to make any decision that you want, but your choices are limited. They're limited to time. They're limited to demographics. They're limited to geography. What if I told you that in Acts chapter 17 that God said he knew the time that you would exist in and has allotted the boundary of your dwelling place? Who took the horse and cart to church today? No one! (laughs) No one! It wasn't an option. It might have been, I don't know. I'm saying you're free to make decisions, but don't you think if I can actually narrow the field for Dean that God could narrow the field for you? Are you making choices? Absolutely you're making choices. But you're still making choices from the options that God gives you. And if other options exist, it stands to reason that you would not even be aware of them, just in the same way that Dean had no idea that I had a delicious can of fanta that he could have had this is the thing that we need to wrap our heads around god is working in our choosing and not around it so the question does god control everything yes he does and you are still making choices and i can keep talking about it but i don't know how it works God's in charge of everything. He knows everything that's going to happen. You're making choices. And here's the best part. Your choices, you're you're still choosing his plan. Is it your decision? Absolutely, it's your decision. Are you making the choice? Absolutely, you're making the choice. And it's working out just as God has planned it. This makes my brain hurt. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I read this and it kind of, it it does. It makes my brain hurt. So then someone says, hang on, wait a minute. If God's making choices, what does that mean? Does that mean that, what if God makes me sin? is then he responsible for that? Well, you want to be the first person to come up with that. In fact, Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter 9, thousands of years ago. He says this, for this is what, you guys should have it up there. Yeah, you do. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year, I will return And Sarah shall have a son. Oh, how can he guarantee that? She was barren. Oh, he's God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. Listen to this. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Your Bible can say whatever it wants. If you look up the original language, it'll say election and it means predestination. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. That's interesting. That seems to fit with everything else because the father calls and we hear and we respond. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is there... Injustice on God's part, Paul goes and answers the question immediately by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion. It's not about good works or behavior, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Pharaoh made decisions. God gave him options. And at the same time, he says, I raised him up. Well, who's responsible? I don't know. It's hard to understand. Verse 18, he says, So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whoever he wills. You will say to me then, Well, why does he still find fault, great question. For who can resist his will? And verse 20 is where Paul really brings us to the end of our understanding. This is a statement that he makes because he says, beyond this, you're not really going to get it. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience weaker vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? He continues to press the point. I think we come to a place where we say, you just can't question it. Because I'm not so sure you can understand it. And I'm not so sure it's really wise to say, God, bring everything that you do into down to my level so that i can understand it you know to be honest i just think there's some mystery here and i think we'll probably figure it out maybe when we get to heaven but on this side of eternity we're probably just not going to figure it out we're not really going to know so then someone says well if the future is predetermined i mean why do anything no, no 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 that's fatalism you're still making choices that's fatalism that's the other that's the wrong end of the Scale here. You're still making choices. You're still making decisions. That's how you're responsible for what you do. There's a story about a lady who actually believed that God would tell her everything that she had to do in the day. I read this in a, in a book. And she believed that God would tell her what underwear to put on in the morning. So she would wake up and she would say, God, what is it today? You know, she would just wait until he answers. I have good news for you. You're in charge of your underwear. (laughs) You are in charge of your underwear. Why front's boxer shorts? Who cares? You make the call. You make this. I don't think God's totally fussed about that. You're making these decisions. You're still making choices. Well, if God has got everybody's name written in the book, why should we even share the gospel? And I'll give you two really great reasons. Number one, Jesus told you to. And you always do what Jesus told you to. But if that were not enough, how about this? What if it is your obedience that becomes part of the plan that you didn't know existed and when those people hear the gospel, they respond because God planned to draw them? I didn't make it up because in 1 Corinthians, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and he's not having a really great time doing it. And God comes to him and and he says to him, there are still people in this city who are mine. And these are people that haven't heard the gospel. Paul hears that and says, I'm going to stick around for a year and a half. And he does. And a great many people were led to God because Paul stayed. It was part of the plan he gave, Paul still had the choice. Could he have walked away? I don't know. <laughs> Could he? I don't know. But he stayed and people gave their life to him because of it. Let me, let, me, let me help you out for a minute because when you hear all of this, you say, well, what am I supposed to do with my life then? If It's all determined. I, I don't know. Like, what am I supposed to do? Don't do anything different don't do anything different. Choose Jesus every time. Just do that. Don't make it complicated. Don't don't, don't make it hard on yourself. Just keep choosing God. Keep choosing Jesus. Keep devoting yourself to the gospel. Keep sharing the gospel message with people that haven't heard it. And in that, I believe, You will be on track for the plan that God has for your life if you just keep obeying him and doing what he's asked you to do. Let me finish with this final scripture. This comes out of Ephesians chapter 1. You guys have got it on screen. I'm going to begin in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, which by the way, is his motivation. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. How many things? All things things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works, how many things? According to the counsel of his will. Let me tell you how I feel about this. I'm so glad God chose me because I'm not so sure I would have chosen him. So I appreciate what God's done for me and that's the way I see it three things you need to remember number one God loves you so much in fact he loves the whole world we know that number two he forgives people of their sin anything wrong they've ever done they call on him he forgives them for all of their sin and if you already know that or you believe it now you know he chose you Make sense? Let me pray. God, there are some things that we don't understand about you. I pray, God, would you give us a mind to understand? Yes, but Lord, grant us the ability to accept the things that we don't understand. Lord, when we look in your word, when we look at the scriptures, we understand your character, the fact that you love us, the fact that you're here for us. You'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. You sent your one and you send your only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty on the cross for our sins. We do believe it's your desire that none should perish, and yet, God, we know people are not choosing you. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, work through us. Work through our decisions. Help us to continue to put our faith and our hope in you, no matter what situation or circumstance we see. Speak into our lives, God. Lord, we love the fact that you are in control of the universe. So I don't have to rely on luck. We don't have to rely on everything just unfolding randomly. The greatest moral agent, Father, you in heaven above is in charge of everything that we have ever known and ever will see. In Jesus' name. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.